Hello, everybody, and welcome to On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. This is Kevin Drulli, Associate Editor at Safety and Health. And with me, as always, are my fellow Associate Editors, Barry Botino and Alan Ferguson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello, Kevin. This is our November 2022 episode, number 33 in the history of our podcast. And per usual, we help to make each episode increasingly memorable. So here's hoping that this joins the annals of other famous 33s, such as Eddie Murray, Tony Dorsett, Larry Bird, Patrick Ewing, and Patrick Watt. Wherever or however you're listening today, we thank you for spending some time with us. It certainly is appreciated. We know that many of you have had a unique journey into the safety profession, and we want to hear more about it for our My Story feature in our magazine. So please submit your personal stories about how you got into the safety field by emailing us at safehealth at nsc.org. You can view past My Story entries and catch up on other news from around the safety world on our website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com. In this month's episode, Alan will take us on a deep dive into his feature story on OSHA's multi-employer citation policy, exploring the ins and outs of a program that has remained in place for over two decades. We also will be joined by Jack Liu, a certified professional ergonomist and researcher at NIOSH, to discuss musculoskeletal disorders, or MSDs, in our latest installment of Five Questions With. And the three of us will also share lessons learned in our What Did We Learn segment. Is everyone ready to begin? Here we go. Each month here at On the Safe Side, we take a look at a feature story from the latest issue of Safety and Health magazine, which we call our Deep Dive segment. In the November issue of Safety and Health, Alan takes a look at OSHA's multi-employer citation policy, which is now more than two decades old. And in his story, Alan writes about the types of employers outlined in the policy, the definition of the term reasonable care and how OSHA applies it, and whether experts he spoke with say that the policy needs to be updated or not. Alan, will you attach those floaties to your arms and share the splashiest details from your story with us? Yes. uh, Thank you so much, Barry. So as the name suggests, OSHA's multi-employer policy governs how the agency can cite for hazards or violations at work sites that involve multiple employers. So think contractors and subcontractors. The, the impetus for that policy is our current NSC colleague and former OSHA Deputy Assistant Secretary Rich Fairfax aptly described in the story is to keep employers, contractors, subcontractors, or what have you from all pointing their fingers at each other when OSHA tries to cite them. And this is what he said would happen to OSHA in the past. The person with exposed employees to the hazard or hazards would say, I didn't make that hazard. I have no control over it and I can't correct it. You can't cite me. You've got to cite this person. Then the employer who created the hazard would say, look, I was just given orders to dig this trench, but I don't have any employees exposed, and so on and so forth. And and a quick aside, employees being exposed is a key part of OSHA citations. And Fairfax said this was all just a mess. So that's why OSHA started this policy in the 90s. It was part of the Field Inspection Reference Manual in 94 but wasn't issued as a directive until 1999, and it's remained in place despite numerous court challenges. Uh, The policy outlines four types of employers, creating, exposing, correcting, and controlling. In the story, I provide part of OSHA's definitions of each employer and some examples uh, of those types of employers. So let's go through them real quick. Uh, So creating, this is the employer that caused the hazardous condition that violates an OSHA standard. For example, a host employer who failed to cover drums containing hazardous chemicals which cause workers, its own, or those or other employers to be exposed. And then we go into exposing. That's, let's say, an 
employers create an unsafe trench or fail to slope or shore, et cetera. Um, but I, I'm an employer that's allowed my employees to work in and around that trench. I haven't created the hazard, but I've exposed my employees to it. And we go to correcting, and that's an employer that's responsible for correcting a hazard. And OSHA state that it's an employer who has the responsibility for installing or maintaining safety equipment or devices. For example, an employer who's tasked with putting in guardrails. And controlling, that's an employer who has general supervisory authority over the worksite. That include the power to correct safety and health issues or the power to get another employer or employers to fix those issues. And an employer can be more than one type. For example, creating, correcting, or controlling employers often will also be exposing employers, exposing employers, excuse me. Also, an exposing, creating, or controlling employer can be a correcting employer if they're authorized to correct a hazard, etc. So, Alan, you detail in the story that employers have a way of helping themselves under this policy. Can you explain a little more about that? So, yes, there's a, an important term that was mentioned earlier. It's called reasonable care. It's a, it's akin to another OSHA term, good faith efforts. Are you taking steps to create a safe and healthy workplace and follow OSHA regulations? That's a good question for employers to ask themselves. The OSHA policy gives a list of factors for reasonable care, how to evaluate reasonable care for controlling and correcting employers, and examples. Rob Matuga, Assistant Vice President of Labor, Safety, and Health at the National Association of Home Builders, said his organization describes the concept to its members this way. Uh, reasonable care generally requires periodic inspections of the worksite and can be dis- demonstrated by implementing a system for correcting hazards and enforcing a safety and health compliance program. Therefore, documenting what you do in writing, say with dates and times, is vital. Think inspections or instructions to other employers. It gives you something to show OSHA if an inspector shows up. And Fairfax said, quote, if an employer can say, I went out to inspect the job site on this day at this time, and then two days later I went out and did this, you know, I, it just to be able to show something on a piece of paper, it goes a long way with OSHA. Well, Alan, it's been 20 plus years since OSHA has updated this policy. Are there any plans at all to, to do so in the future? The short answer, no. Fairfax said even though they don't seem to be thinking about it, uh, OSHA should probably start on an update at some point, basically incorporating any letters of interpretation, etc. He said, quote, the policy has stood the test of time, but you don't suddenly you suddenly don't want it going before court. And he said this happens to OSHA sometimes. They let a policy just go and go and go, and then all of a sudden it goes before the court. And the judge says, well, wait a minute. You've issued all these letters of interpretation, and you have a policy document that's never incorporated them or hasn't been updated. So I'm going to strike these violations. And Kevin Cannon, Senior Director of Safety, Health, and Risk Management for the Associated General Contractors of America and a member of OSHA's Advisory Committee on Construction, Safety, and Health, said the agency should clarify the duty of care for controlling employers. It could be pretty much put in black and white, he said, instead of very broad or vague language. Uh, Be clear as far as your expectations for the controlling employer. And Matuga said his organization would like OSHA to clarify responsibilities, quote unquote, on multi-employer work sites so an employer and employers won't get cited for safety violations if the employer has A, not created the condition that caused a violation or violations, and B, has no employees exposed to the violations, and C, has not assumed responsibility for ensuring compliance by other employers on a work site. And for now, one of the best ways to comply with the policy, Kevin said, is through communication and coordination. Uh, the quote is, Um, The primary message is that everyone has a responsibility to ensure that they're helping to maintain the job site as safe as possible. 
Well, thank you very much, Alan, for all your efforts on this story. If you'd like to read Alan's feature story and other news from around the safety world, uh, please check out the November issue of Safety and Health Magazine in your mailbox, or you can visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Every safety professional has a unique story. So what's yours? Safety and Health Magazine wants to hear about your unique path into the occupational health and safety field for our My Story column. Email your submission to safehealth at nsc.org to share the road you traveled and your career journey of keeping workers safe and healthy. Reducing the risk of musculoskeletal disorders is always a pertinent topic in workplace safety. MSDs affect nearly one quarter of the world's population and cost businesses billions of dollars each year by some estimates. With us today to talk about MSDs is Jack Liu, co-manager of NIOSH's Musculoskeletal Health Program. Thank you so much for joining us on the Safe Side. Hi, Ellen. So my first question is, as an overview, what are some of the most significant musculoskeletal disorders in the workplace? Um, as you mentioned earlier, you know, MSD is a serious health problem in the workplace, costing million, millions and millions of dollars. Just to give you some context. Um, so MSD and overexertion injuries, such as sprains and strains, are often used interchangeably. According to Bureau of Labor Statistics, MSD are the leading type of injury involving days away from work and accounting for about one third of the all cases in the private industry. According to the Liberty Mutual Insurance Company, overexertion involving outside sources, which means that uh, handling materials with bare hands, ranked the first among the leading causes of disabling injuries in 2019, accounting for about $13 billion or 23% of the total workers' compensation costs in the United States. So among all the MSDs, low back pain was ranked the highest for leading cause of a disability and years live with a disability out of a 345 diseases and injuries in 2017, according to this very famous uh, the Global Burden of a Disease Surveys. So most MSD cases are in the shoulder and the low back regions, typically caused by repetitive motion and heavy materials handling. In short, MSD are disabling and a tremendous economic burden to employers and a society. Hey, Jack, this is Kevin. Wanted to ask uh, what just what are some of the best ways that employers can help guard against the issues that you've discussed? Uh, the best ways, that, in my view, there are two best ways that employee can help guard against this, this MSD issues. The first is follow the NIOSH prevention through design guidelines, in particular, the, the NIOSH hierarchy of control. So in the NIOSH hierarchy of control, the employer should look at um, the five actions. Basically, action number one is to look if they can eliminate hazard first, followed by substitute. You know, if they can substitute is the, the, the processes that oppose that less hazardous. And the next one, ne next line of action is really to see if this engineering control they can use to control the risk. Then the last two um, action they should consider is really to see uh, if, they, if they really can eliminate and reduce the hazard, what it can do is to, to do some uh, administrative control, such as job rotation, rotate workers to the less hazardous uh, work conditions. Then last will be the least preferred action is, is through PPE, the personal protection equipment. 
And the other way is really to implement uh, effective uh, participatory ergonomics program using a nice recommended steps. Uh, participatory ergonomics program means that you empower workers, you hold meetings with workers weekly or monthly to have them address the issues themselves. Then work as a team, the management and the workers together to solve issues. I think these are the two best way to address um, the MSD issues. Jack, the NIOSH lifting equation has been around for about 40 years now. Could you explain what that is for our listeners and how it can help? Okay, the NIOSH lifting equation was initially developed in 1981, and it was revised again in 1991. So we actually call uh, the, the latest version called a revised NIOSH e equation. I know people use interchangeably, but NIOSH doesn't recommend using the original version. I'll get to that later. The original version, had, um, it, it, it actually have a higher uh, 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 weight limit. The revised version actually reduced the weight limit to 51 pounds. So essentially, um, the NIOSH lifting equation, or I'm gonna call it the revised NIOSH lifting equation, is a job design guideline and an MSD risk assessment tool. So in this equation, there's a one low constant and a six task variables, such as the distance between the low you handle and your body, and distance between the low and the ground, and the, the how, how, how you rotate your body, we call it a symmetry angle. Uh, sometimes people call it a torso twisting. You kind of get a sense what it is. And also the how frequent you actually handle the low, called lifting frequency. And the last of, uh, a variable in the equation is actually called a coupling factor. You know, how well you can uh, and grasp this low. So if you input those task variable in the equation plus one low constant, which is uh, 51 pounds or 23 kg, and you will figure out the equation was, would calculate the recommended weight limit. So when you design a workplace for a lifting a particular lifting jar, you have to specifically look at the recommended weight limits. Make sure that the low you're lifting doesn't exceed the recommended weight limit to be safe. And um, and how how can a nice lifting equation help the employers? It's, it's um, what you need to do is really to do a risk assessment for all your manual lifting tasks, right? Sort of, this is the first line of action is really to do the assessment so you can know what our risks are. So among those high risk jobs, you can prioritize and come up with intervention strategy or uh, risk mitigation, uh, mitigation uh, uh, methods. And, um, and, and we, the, 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 the outcome metric of the natural lifting equation is called the lifting index. So if the lifting index is less than one, uh, which is the recommended weight limit, it's equal to the weight you lift, and the lifting index will, equal, will be equal to one. In this case, that your lifting condition is considered safe. If your lifting index for, the, for a particular lifting task exceeds one, then we're gonna consider you are at risk of having back pain. Anything beyond 1.5 to, we will cons consider this is like in a red zone. You really have to take action to re reduce the risk of injury. And NIOSH developed uh, the NIOSH lifting app. So, so the practitioners or users do not have to input to, to hand calculate uh, the very complex equation. You can just input all the test variables into the app and the app will automatically calculate the lifting index for you to help you identify the, the risk level for the, a particular lifting condition. So what are some of the current technology that may help employers or workers when it comes to MSDs and what are some that are coming in the future? 
I think the current consensus on the, the intervention would be called a physical modification of the workstation, or you know, you basically change your job design to reduce the physical risk factor. Such as, for example, if we use the natural lifting equation as an example, if your risk um, assessment result tells you that the horizontal distance between the low and the lifters on the body is too long, you're gonna have to modify your workstation to reduce the moment on, to reduce the distance between low and, and the lifters. So, so in my view, that is the most um, the effective way. And also, if you can really modify the workstation, what you can do, you can install the lifting aids or some lifting equipment or the so-called lift table. I don't know if you have seen that in a workplace. It's a little scissor lift that can lift up the, uh, the, the your part and you can tilt it in a certain way. Basically, what it does is reduce those risk factors such as the distance between the low and your body. And so that um, is considered by far as probably the most effective way to control the risk of MSDs. And there are other ways, and now it's becoming more and more popular. Uh, the, the, the technology now is amazing. Now we have a wearable a motion sensor. We have a computer vision that can actually understand what you do in a video. And these two technologies actually can work uh, uh, in concert to understand your body motion and your postures and those risk factors and even calculate the lifting index for you. So by the end of the day, these two technologies can work together to tell you what the risk, risk factors are for the certain uh, work areas. Uh, another new uh, technology, you know, it, it's less, less known uh, by the public. It's called industrial exoskeletons. Industrial exoskeleton is a device the worker can wear to enhance their lifting. For example, it's for the back, they can enhance their lifting capability, you know. And if it's for the shoulder, it can actually reduce your, your shoulder strain by uh, providing some sort of support under, under uh, you know, uh, around your arm. So when you work overhead, you don't feel that much um, uh, strain anymore in your arm and your shoulder. And this industrial exoskeleton is actually it's a new technology in the past, maybe about 10 years. There are a lot of research, a lot of uh, manufacturers coming out. Um, so it's evolving real fast. But so far, I would say, the industrial exoskeletons are still in the infant stage of a development. And um, the ASTM uh, has uh, the standardization agency. They have a work group, a very big work group called F40A. They work with uh, a lot of expert, expert in this area and practitioners and manufacturers to address how to standardize the exoskeleton to be more safe, to be more effective. What are some other resources to help employers and employees confront MSDs? Oh, there are a lot of resources a practitioner and even research can use. And for example, you know, we're not trying to brag about it. NIOSH and OSHA have a website where you can find a lot of resource, you know, such as um, just like I mentioned, uh, the elements of uh, uh, the ergonomics program. It's a website and a book. People can download it to understand how to implement ergonomics program step by step. And OSHA have a lot of good website to guide you how to lift, say, you know, the airport baggage handling, you know, patient handling, material handlings, and office work, etc. And there are a lot of professional organization websites, such as uh, International Ergonomic Association, IEA, where you can find uh, a, a very nice innovation um, uh, um, a list. You know, you can download the list. I think it's in Excel format. And, and it's sorted by the industry, by innovation method, by standard. And if you encounter any MST issue, it's sort of, that's a great resource to, to start with. 
And also there's an association for safe patient handling professional, ASPHP, where you can find a lot of a safe patient, uh, patient handling guideline. And I didn't mention earlier, uh, patient handling, it's, 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 it's a, a very risky job for nurses or nursing aides in the healthcare settings. A lot of uh, people, healthcare workers, get injured in particular MSD just because they have to manually uh, uh, lift patients or move patients for certain tasks. So this website provides a lot of good guidance, such as lifting equipment. And um, you know, I can go on and on. There's a Applied Ergonomic Society where you can find a lot of good resources. And uh, NIH is based in Cincinnati, and we have a Ohio Bureau of Worker Compensation have a lot of good guidance, and they have um, at a website where you can input information and they will tell you that, the, 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 for example, they have a push-pull guidelines where you can just figure out what kind of a push-pull forces are within a, a, the safe limits. And, um, you know, and also Washington State have a very good resource. They call out health assessment and research for prevention, or we call it SHARP. And one of my best websites is actually not in the US, is a Canadian website, it's, it's in an, Ontario Center of the Research Expertise for the Prevention of MSD or CRE-MSD, where you can find a lot of uh, very pretty guidelines and white papers and, and the rationale beyond how you um, uh, use those uh, uh, lifting equipment or innovation strategies. Well, Jack, this is a really important workplace topic that affects workers, as you mentioned, in, in many industries. And we thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks for joining us this month on The Safe Side. Yep, my pleasure. Well, guys, no discussion of MSDs in the workplace would be complete without mentioning, of course, the efforts of NSC's MSD Solutions Lab. Uh, in September, that team released a new white paper on the topic that is a review of current interventions and also discusses future research directions. Uh, and to date, more than 100 organizations have signed NSC's first-of-its-kind MSD pledge, which focuses on several pillars, uh, such as reducing risks to workers, innovation and collaboration on best practices, building an organizational culture that values safety, and last but certainly not least, is committing to reducing MSD risk and subsequent injuries by 25% by the year 2025. And now the lab also has a number of its own resources, uh, including infographics, posters, FAQ documents, and even information on building your very own MSD Solutions program. And to read the white paper and learn about the MSD pledge and check out all of those valuable resources, you can visit the MSD Solutions Lab homepage online, and that's located at nsc.org msd. I'll give that address out once again for our listeners. That is nsc.org msd. As we approach the end of this episode, it's about that time to discuss what we've learned in the past month, whether on the job or off. To get things started, I will say that I've learned that using your imagination can be a far more fun and vivid endeavor when you actually have visited a place. Um, as we record this, we're a few weeks removed from the 2022 NSC Safety Congress and Expo at the San Diego Convention Center, which also housed the event three years ago. Uh, but again, as we record, uh, the American Trucking Associations um, is about to hold its management conference and exhibition at the same venue. So I've um, been reviewing, just putting around, seeing some things, what might be going on from a fleet safety perspective, and saw that 
quite a few things are being held in Ballroom 6E, which was where the OSHA Top 10 Most Cited Standards was held, and just various little things. So I know it sounds probably geeky, but it's, it is it is interesting when you have been to a place. And further, also as we record, um, the San Diego Padres are catching fire in the, in the National League playoffs. So there have been a few accounts, especially after they won the most recent series against the Dodgers about how the, the players were basically um, making it rain in, in the gas lamp quarter. And, and one of the players, Will Myers, was bartending, I think, at some restaurant. So when you read about it, you're thinking, hey, we walked past that on our way to the, the conference or something like that, just because it was right in the heart there where we stayed. So that's what I learned this month. Alan, how about yourself? Last time we were in San Diego, I don't know why I did not put two and two together, but my, my cousin who I visited in Los Angeles like later that week said, oh, yeah, that's where Comic-Con is held. It never it never occurred to me <laughs> until I was like, oh, yeah, it's in San Diego at that convention center because I was just remarking at how large the convention center is. It's like, yeah, I know. I've, I've been to Comic-Con. I was like, wait, but that's where. Oh, OK. Um, the one thing I was going to talk about to kind of dovetail into what we were discussing in terms of musculoskeletal disorders is that uh, NSC and its um, MSD Solutions Lab has unveiled its uh, small business guide for MSDs, and that's kind of a, a manual that offers some solutions um, for sort of smaller businesses, obviously, that uh, that can it kind of help them um, get going on their um, MSD program, or MSD prevention program, I should say, and, um, you know, kind of help smaller organizations who may not have as many resources. I, I also wanted to mention that um, uh, my hierarchy of control story, I, I, it's one of those things that I'm sure you all have uh, kind of experienced this too, is that, you know, it's always, it's never the story you think it's going to be that kind of gets popular. It's always the story that's like, you know, I, I thought, well, this, it, this is a good explainer, but I don't, I don't know how many people are going to read this. Like, you know, I've had other stories where I've like, I really, you know, really hope this one catches fire and then it just you know never seems to or whatever but then this one is you know i see a ton of people share i get you know um linkedin alerts where people are sharing it and it's just kind of shocked <laughs> at that sometimes and it sometimes it's the simplest you know it's our sim more simple story that uh the one you in the one you didn't expect is the one that you know people kind of remember and so i always think that's that's kind of interesting sometimes from 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 this from this side of the you know this perspective i should say so um yeah barry what about you well guys i want to talk a little bit about travel um i was recently uh traveling for uh my cousin's wedding uh, and I was in the Minneapolis airport and, and something really struck me from a, a safety perspective. Um, so I was waiting at a gate um, and went to look at some food options. Um, and I noticed there were, you know, like in many airports, uh, golf, golf cart type carts that take passengers who need extra assistance through the terminals. Um, and one thing that really struck me about the Minneapolis airport was these carts had no sound to them. There were no honking sounds that you would hear in most terminals. Uh, there were no lights on these carts. Um, some airports I've noticed that they have a light on a pole uh, that can be, you know, it looks like a siren light. Um, and, and that's a real easy way to, to notice those carts as well. And it, it really struck me mostly because I saw a woman who was on her phone, a fellow traveler who was walking over to look at the arrival and departures board, and she walked right in front of a cart. 
um, and the driver had to stop very quickly to avoid striking her. Um, and I just thought, wow, that that is really something that those have no lights and there are no sounds. The driver did not uh, honk a horn of any type or make a sound. Uh, he just stopped very rapidly. It was really striking. So I think if you're in an airport, uh, for those of us who do travel for work or for pleasure, Keep an eye out for where you are. Watch out for those carts um, because they are moving around uh, quite frequently. Is there something important that you learned this month? Share it with us via email at safehealth at nsc.org or use the hashtag SafeSide on social media. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this month's episode of On the Safe Side. We know that your time is valuable. And we appreciate you spending some of it with the three of us. If you'd like to share some feedback, you can email us at safehealth at nsc.org. We'd also appreciate if you would rate and review this podcast. To find stories such as Alan's feature on the multi-employer citation policy and all the latest news from around the safety world, you can visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Make sure you also follow us on your favorite social media channel, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Original music for this podcast was composed by Steve Maslin. Thank you, Steve. We'll be back next month to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile a little. In the meantime, please stay on the safe side.